This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Uh, countdown last four days of the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze. Uh, so we're going to be today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. Thursday is the last day of the Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio. Um, I'm, I'm still hoping that uh, we'll see if the, the show, the 6 to 9 show, is carried on the Blaze Radio. I'm not sure what's going on uh, with the timing of that just yet, but I'll have updates for you as I find out more. But this is our last four days, team. Uh, so I'm going to repeatedly throughout this show and, and the next few days, while I have your, uh, I have your attention, ask that you please... Uh, find a way to join me in the Freedom Hut uh, at night. For some of you, it'll be during the day, actually. It'll be in drive time. If you're on the West Coast, it's 3 to 6. But it's 6 to 9 here on the East Coast. And uh, the way that I'm hoping you will all at least initially join would be if you if you don't have the iHeart Radio app, just go into the App Store on iTunes, and uh, or the App Store, rather, and download, uh, you can go into iTunes under podcasts. And then once you're there, you type in Buck Saxon with America. Now I know there's a few different shows, but when you click on Buck Saxon with America, now there should be a button that allows you to subscribe. And once you subscribe, uh, you will get the show every day. Uh, you get the show every day. And that's the best thing that can possibly happen for me. And, uh, it's very helpful by the way, for those of you who are, who've always asked like, Hey Buck, how can I help? Uh, all the all the bosses, everyone is very excited over at uh, iHeart Media or at Premier, which is the radio syndicator uh, that is within iHeart Media. They do Glenn Beck's show, uh, they do Rush Limbaugh's show, Sean Hannity's show, and my show. That's their talk lineup through the day. Uh, but the more that I can show them early support for the show, the better. And all I need from you to that end, other than if you wouldn't mind listening live. Because uh, that helps, obviously, um, and if you don't mind calling in every now and again, but downloading that podcast is uh, every week. The people that have taken a chance on me and that believe that I'll be able to build out this syndicated show into something really special and and uh, have a real voice in this country, 
uh, every week the numbers in the podcast get look at, looked at. So they've been going up uh, ever since we started the show. If they keep going up, it's just going to mean uh, good things for me. It'll mean more resources to do the kind of show that I, I want to do and some of the additional podcasts and history shows that I know I've been promising forever. It's just been a resource issue up to this point. The main resource problem being my time and energy. Uh, I have more, I, I'm going to have more uh, help in terms of people working with me on the new show. And uh, I'll have a, a full on, I have a full on studio to work out of instead of doing it from my apartment. So that is, uh, that is all I, I can ask you here is please, if you can listen on the iHeartRadio app, that's great too. Uh, and if you, obviously if I'm on a station in your area, please listen there. Uh, so excuse me for taking up a little of your time for my own purposes here, but it, uh, it really means a lot. And those of you who have been with me now for a while, and all, some of you all the way back to the Saturday show, which is now going on four, it's four years. Actually, I'm amazed when I thought it's been four years. Uh, if you would come with me on this next adventure, I, I'm, very po- I'm very confident this is going to be a big show and, and there'll be great things that come with it. So again, iTunes, if you don't have iTunes, you can always listen on uh, Stitcher.com. Type in Buck Sexton with America now. And also iHeartRadio app. I think it's under America's Talk on the iHeartRadio app. We are fixing that because even my own family has had trouble finding me. They're like, what is America's Talk and where are you? So we're fixing that. But uh, the best thing, like I said, subscribe to the podcast because then at least you'll be able to listen to me whenever you want. And if you can get in on the live show as well, 6 to 9 Eastern, that'd be great. So all of that said, let's talk a bit about what's going on in the news. Uh, We have... Uh, Preet Bharara, who is a very well-known uh, prosecutor, and I, I have to say, I, I have a, and I know there are a lot of very, very prominent politicians who are former prosecutors, and you can argue that it's great training, but it makes me uncomfortable that now prosecutors, especially federal prosecutors who have so much power, are openly seen as political beings, uh, I shouldn't say political beings, as political entities, meaning that they are uh, making decisions that have to do with how it looks for them instead of just how it looks for justice. And uh, Barrara made his name by going after some big uh, Wall Street fat cats and sending them away to some lengthy prison terms and using the techniques that are generally reserved for something more along the lines of like a mafia boss with wiretaps and really aggressive investigative techniques uh, to catch these guys. Because insider trading, is, it can be a little bit hard to prove, although all that really matters is can you convince a jury that somebody was doing insider trading? If the answer is yes, well, then that person's going to go to prison. Um, but to definitively prove it is certainly a difficult, uh, difficult, and there's even, there are legitimate gray areas with what's inside information versus what's just really good information that other people maybe could have had access to. It gets complicated pretty quickly. Um, but anyway, I, I just wanted to say that, uh, or I, I wanted to point out that there's this trend of very political federal prosecutors. And if you haven't seen the show, I, I would recommend it to you. There are a few things in it that really bother me. There's a show on Showtime called Billions, and it's about a hedge fund guy who is squaring off against a federal prosecutor. And the hedge fund guy is you know, worth billions of dollars and he's got his fund out in Connecticut, you know, Greenwich or Stanford or one of those places. Stanford, I always get that wrong. Uh, and you know they, they have this whole back and forth with these characters. And it's Paul Giamatti 
and also the red-haired guy, Adrian uh, Brody from um, uh, Homeland. I can't remember the guy's name, but they do they do a good job. Uh, and, you know, Paul Giamatti is a very talented actor. Uh, you know, the fact that he's kind of Hobbit-like has never held back his career. So I, I tip my hat to him. It's all based on skill and ability. So, you know. I mean, because he's not like a leading man, handsome kind of guy. You know, the other guy's really handsome, right? So Paul Giamatti's a little more, uh, you know, it's based on talent. So, which is good. Uh, but the problems I have with the show, they, you know, they, they introduce an element of, uh, there's like an S&M aspect to it, which is just completely unnecessary and out of left field. But anyway, the prosecutor, though, in the show, I think it's very well done that it, it, it does give you a sense that this is a, a political these are political decisions that are being made and how it looks to the public is often a driver for, you know, who gets prosecuted versus who gets a deal, you know, who gets the full weight of the federal government brought against them versus who's allowed to take something that's much, uh, you know, much less severe in terms of punishment. And so uh, I think billions is a pretty good example of that. And all these shows about the justice system, you know, law and order, dun, dun, you know, all that stuff. Uh, they they do this. They show you this aspect of it. But prosecutors have so much authority and so much discretion in this country, and they are, uh, you know, the, the first place that I, I think you would begin to really feel a tyrannical a tyrannical government would be in the actions in this country would be in the actions of prosecutors. Uh, that would be one of the first places because you know, the moment that all of a sudden there's no longer an expectation. The people given this authority are going to use it in a way that it benefits the public at large and that is bound to law, not to the whims of, of crowds and, and public opinion. Um, the moment that that's no longer the anchor and the Constitution and limited government is no longer, then what is not possible? And then you start to get in a really scary place. Anyway, I'm going a little bit deeper down that rabbit hole than I meant to, but that happens here on the show. So Barrara is, uh, was one of... Uh, over 40 uh, U.S. attorneys that were fired on, or they were asked to step down. Now that's a, you know, that's a more polite look. People say, "Why? What does it? What does it even matter?" Well, because it's it's an official. You can always say, "You know, I resigned. I resigned my post." That is a very clean cut way to say that you're done, but it wasn't anything that you did. Whereas if you get fired, even if you're fired for political reasons, you got to say, "Well, I got fired, right? I was terminated." Um, so. Uh, all, a lot of these U.S. attorneys uh, were were fired, and that's by the way that's nothing unusual. And I pointed this out on the uh, on Buck Sex in America now Friday after this news broke that there would be people who were trying so hard to make this seem bad that they would embarrass themselves, and, and sure enough, that happened uh, because Bill Clinton fired he had Janet Reno as the, as the Attorney General fire all the U.S. attorneys at once. I mean, it was just gone. And Obama uh, fired plenty of U.S. attorneys. And this has become normal. We had Andrew McCarthy on, who's among the former prosecutors uh, that I know, is you know, among my very favorite ones. And, uh, and I'm actually friends with a bunch, of, a bunch of current and former prosecutors, believe it or not. And, you know, he's, he was saying that, sure, we understand that there's, there are political decisions, but it's more about the priorities of the party and less about partisanship when it comes to prosecutors. I'm like Annie has a lot more experience. I mean, I have no experience. He had decades of experience as a prosecutor. I'm not sure I see it quite the same way though. I mean, as a, as a citizen and as somebody who 
understands how this game is played and, and how the whole system tend how the whole system functions. Uh, there's a reason why people want their senior law enforcement folks to be on their side and ideologically aligned with them. There's a reason why Obama was stacking the federal courts with as many Obama loyalists as he possibly could while he could, because this is a, uh, you know, the, the justice system is very important for certainly the implementation of policy, but also, as we all know, you know, things get really bad, things get rough. Uh, you want somebody who's more sympathetic to you ideologically to be making decisions about who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. Uh, you, you'll, you'll want that in, if, if it comes down to that. And certainly, given the conspiracies over Trump and Russia and all that that's going on, I think they're going to want U.S. attorneys. Because keep in mind, I mean, the whole surveillance on Trump issue, uh, yeah, that would have been at the top of DOJ, but a, a U.S. attorney could be involved in that too. Right? So a U.S. attorney could be involved in a process of doing a criminal warrant on somebody for perceived illegal international financial ties. I mean, that's, that's a federal prosecutor. That's how this works. So he may want to have his people in there. Anyway, Barrara is the one who is the most famous of these prosecutors, which is already also a problem for me, too. I don't like prosecutors that are holding themselves up as champions of the public good and, and that like the acclaim a little too much. People are always saying, oh, Barrara is so bipartisan. Whenever I hear that a public servant, especially a prosecutor, is so bipartisan, I go, oh, so he's a Democrat who's trying to head fake a bunch of Republicans. And I'm usually right. But Barrara uh, refused to accept the request to resign. He refused to accept that the administration, had, by the way, and the administration has full authority to tell him to resign. This is not a question. And so they, they fired him. And he tweeted out on Friday, um, trying to think of what exactly uh, he said here. Do I have it? I don't know if I have it. Um, anyway, he tweeted out, you know, I was just fired as U.S. Attorney uh, for Southern District of New York. And I was, anyway, um, I was looking at this, thinking to myself, a few things. First of all, this is a guy who could walk into, I would assume, most fancy law firms, uh, you know, big name law firms, and pull down a seven-figure salary starting day one uh, anywhere he wants to go. So it's not like he's going to be some hard luck story and, oh gosh, what happens to him now? A lot of people in government don't have that same luxury. A lot of people in government, their skills are not that tra uh, transferable. Look, I'll tell you um, that uh, a lot of people that I know that come out of the intelligence side of the house, yeah, they're smart, they're competent, they're patriots, they have held, had a lot of responsibility. Some of them have even shown real bravery and dedication and trustworthiness and judgment. Uh, but I had this whole process, and maybe I'll tell you a little bit about that today as part of story time with Buck. Uh, but as I went through that whole process, there was always this, well, but you don't have a, you don't have a transferable skill, really. As if being smart, analytic, trustworthy, knowledgeable, uh, brave, showing good judgment, all those aren't transferable skills in corporate America. I mean, but that, but that's what you come up against. People are, they're sifting through resumes and they're, they've got a lot of, a lot of people want any good job that's out there, as you know. Uh, but for lawyers, for government lawyers, they tend to be able to find, especially senior important ones, they tend to be able to find work in the private sector. But Barrara is going to be now cashing in on this because why and his story is just, it's just crap, by the way. It's, oh, well, they told me I could stay on. Yeah, they did. And now they said you can't. 
you serve at the, the, the phrase, the active, the, the important phrase here is at the pleasure of the president. It's not until the president has a really, really good reason to fire you. It's at the pleasure of the president. That's it. That's it. So if the president says you're out, you're out. You know, it's like being an at-will employee somewhere. I mean, you know, you're, they say, we don't need you anymore. You're done. You don't get to say, well, you know, I, you know, I, I had big plans here. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. So uh, he's going to turn this, though, of course, into a, a, martyr, a martyr moment for himself where he's going to claim that, oh, it was a, a political, this was a political thing. And, you know, and it, look, he, I'm not sure which way he takes this. There's the obvious path for Barrara where he makes, and, and by the way, the media seizing on this, you're probably like, Buck, why is this even a story? Media seizing on this because it, it looks, it's conflict with the Trump administration. And any conflict with the Trump administration is worthy of a lot of coverage in their minds and amplification and, you know, additional research. And, you know, they, they love that. They want to get into that really deeply. Uh, but I, I see a couple of paths here for this guy. One is, and this, this is a reminder of what I tell you all the time, that the left is very good at this. The left takes care of its own. Uh, I, I wish that I had the options as somebody in political journalism or political punditry or whatever I do. I wish that I had the options that somebody on the left has because there, there are so many places for them to go and the left also will take care of you. You know, you'll get speaking opportunities. You'll be put on the boards of companies. You'll be invited into any number of, of different lucrative opportunities. On the right, it's, oh, well, I'm glad he was a patriot and he stuck his neck out. And even if he gets blasted by the other side, you know, he'll figure it out. We, we don't take care of our, our side, especially in media. We don't take care of our people at all. We've got one channel uh, that's, uh, that's a full spectrum cable channel in a hundred million homes. You've got one channel, Fox, that's it. We, you don't have any channels that have coverage really beyond that. We've got a bunch of digital startup channels that are doing well and hopefully will continue to do really well. But uh, and then you go into the, well, what newspaper? You can work for the Wall Street Journal, I guess. Well, that's a crowded space. You know, you start to go down the line, and there's really not a lot of places for conservatives to go. I mean, if I were a liberal, oh my gosh, ABC, NBC, CBS, NPR, CNN, MSNBC, New York Times, Washington Post, LA Times. I mean, you know, and Vox and and BuzzFeed, and you, know, you just go down the line. I'm not trying to make this a, a, a oh woe is me like media career is so hard moment. I'm just saying. It's, it's indicative of so much of how this game is played in our country. You know, you want, to, you want to be on the right and stand up for principle and try to be a hero, or you want to be on the left and get to live where you want to live, send your kids to private school if you're in New York City, and be able to, you know, do, it, do things your way. Um, so, Barara, um, well, you know what? i got to finish my thoughts on this uh, in a sec. Uh, so stay with me, team. Stay with me. I'll be uh, back right after this break. Let your voice be heard. Hello. 888-900-3393. On the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. 
When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life, and that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Welcome back, team sponsor. This hour is silencershop.com. I've got a few more days to tell you about it, and so I want to make sure I really get the message, uh, hit the message home, and make sure I'm clear. Silencershop.com is the best place, simply the number one place for you to go to get a silencer for your firearm. There's some paperwork involved in that process. Nobody does that better than Silencershop. Nobody understands how to get it done efficiently and properly better than silencershop.com. So simply go on the site, you can read the testimonials, see all the different offerings that they have, and then at the end, you go through the process, you pick out your silencer, and it'll arrive at your local dealer. Your local dealer sets the price, makes the profit, and so you'll be supporting local business, as well as getting yourself pretty much the coolest accessory. I mean, optics are really cool too, but a silencer is right up there with just a fantastic accessory for your firearm. So uh, do check it out, team, silencershop.com, again, silencershop.com help make the world a quieter place. And I'll finish up my Barara thoughts, and then maybe I'll tell you about some story time in just a few seconds. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back, team. Uh, I know we're in our last four days here together, and it does feel like with, with each passing segment here, it, it feels like I'm coming to the end of a, of a TV show that I have absolutely loved and I want I want to see I want to see it all through of course and I want to see what happens but I also don't want it to end that's how it feels for me right now uh, doing the at-home version of the Freedom Hut uh, like I said the show of course will continue on and I've got really exciting plans for it and I, I mean that and I've got uh, backup now with Premiere in New York to do all kinds of really exciting things I've got a studio. I can have people come in studio with me. I've got, you know, there's a whole, I've got, you know, help on the audio side that's brand new. I mean, it's going to be great. So, uh, like I said, please do uh, pass that show around, uh, send it around to people, download it on iTunes, and it's Buck Sexton with America Now. Um, 
and I'll sometimes refer to it as the Buck Sexton Show, but Buck Sexton with America now is the official title. And I've got some other projects as well that I'll be announcing in the next couple of weeks. And to stay in touch with all things Team Buck, facebook.com slash Buck Sexton is the best place to be, uh, best place to go for that. So, okay, I uh, I wanted to move on here to, uh, oh, no, sorry, uh, Preet Bharara for a second. So, I uh, packed Preet. So he said he made them fire him. He wouldn't just take the, the the request for resignation. So now he gets to just like the deputy. Uh, what was it? Yates was her name. The deputy, not to be confused with the magnificent Stephen Yates, whom I'm a big fan of. Is a great guy and a good friend. Um, but the Sally Yates, I believe, was her name. The uh, deputy attorney general, uh, or the acting attorney general after being deputy attorney general. You know, if you stand up at Trump in any way, even if even if it's, if it's for five minutes and you risk nothing in doing so, you know, the left will treat you like you're some kind of conquering hero. And so, you know, here we are uh, with this guy, uh, Barrara, who is supposed to be this bipartisan pillar of uh, judicial or prosecutorial, I should say, uh, prosecutorial wisdom, and a slightly different take on this from our friends over at Reason.com. Barrara was the U.S. attorney who was involved in demanding that Reason.com, the website, which Matt uh, Matt Welch and uh, Catherine Mangu Ward and some of the other frequent guests we've had on the show, they have all been joining, uh, you know, on my show for a long time. Reason.com received a subpoena for comments from Barrara's office, and they had to comply with giving the IP addresses of those who left these comments. And the comments included things like uh, referring to the judge of the Silk Road, Silk Road founder Ross Ulbricht, uh, the judge on that case. I don't know if you remember that case or not. This guy was involved in creating the Silk Road. I think he got like life in prison or 30 years. Or, I mean, he got this guy who created this eBay for illegal stuff, more or less. Um, he got annihilated. Uh, in the court. I mean, they gave him, I forget what the sentence was, but it was, I, I remember reading it being like, whoa. And so people were upset at that judge, at least libertarians were. And uh, now Silk Road, I think the defense there was, okay, he set up this platform, but he didn't sell anything illegal. So, you know, is it, are, why is he being, because yeah, it was used that way. Why is he being held accountable for, yeah, I think that was the defense. I don't know that much about the case it was a while ago. I've forgotten a lot about it and I can't remember every case. Um, I spend too much time as for a non-lawyer. I spend a lot of time reading legal cases. Uh, anyway, so they, uh, what's this guy's name? Barrara. He wanted the comments from reason.com and not only did he want the comments, but he also put a gag order prohibiting reason from discussing the matter. Um, and he, they weren't even allowed to, and I remember this because I had them, I had, I think it was Matt Welch on radio. They weren't even allowed to discuss the case or even say that there was a subpoena. Uh, I'm sorry, but the, you know that's the, the the power that a court takes upon itself to say that we can't even once once we've taken an action, you are in no way, shape or form, um, going to be you know going to be able to uh, uh, say anything about this is just crazy time. I mean, it really is uh, that they would take it upon themselves to do that is is insane. So um, reason shows here that he's not the guy, he's not this you know this wonderful uh, cuddly great guy that he's made out to be. Uh, he used this gag order on Reason.com and for a really 
nonsense. So anyway, I have to say I'm I'm uh, I see this as a very clear effort to try and burnish his own brand, and I think Barrara is gonna make a run for office pretty soon. And I just I'm not somebody who gets very excited about prosecutors who want to turn into politicians. I know a lot of them do, and some of them have been great, and some of them not so great. A lot of them not so great. I mean, Rudy Giuliani was a good mayor, not a great presidential candidate. Chris Christie kind of fizzled out. There's a, I know there's a bunch, you know, Trey Gowdy's a former prosecutor, people like him. I mean, you know, I, I get it. Uh, but I kind of wish that prosecutors would not view their offices as stepping stones to elected office, but I guess that's just the way it is. Uh, so hey, Barrara is uh, expect to hear more about him and from him, and he's already done some stuff on Twitter that makes me think that he's going to be part of the anti-Trump uh, Democrat you know, opposition. Uh, I'm going to hit a break here, and I want to tell you some stories on the other side, so stay with me. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to the Freedom Mode. Sorry if I seemed to distract for a second there. Um, had something uh, had something pop up. So, where was I? Oh, yes. Uh, I was going to tell you some stories. Story time with Buck is one of the things that I've been doing these last few days. And I was thinking about this because whenever I talk about uh, the U.S. attorney and prosecutors, it reminds me of the time that I was at the uh, NYPD Intelligence Division, which I'm a little more free to talk about in general because it's not, my work there was not classified. It was law enforcement sensitive. Um, and in some cases there's stuff you really legally can't talk about, but generally I could talk about stuff. And, you know, there was, it was interesting. I, I had, I had decided that I wanted to take some time away. I'd been at the CIA for five years and I decided that I, I wanted to take some time for myself and be up in New York. Uh, my whole family's here, as many of you know. I've told you that a bunch of times before. And so I moved up to the city. <clears throat> and, of course, I uh, living in D.C., and D.C.'s gotten more expensive since since I lived there, considerably more expensive, from what I understand. But, uh, you know, living in D.C., I, um, got, I had forgotten how expensive Manhattan was. So I moved up here, and uh, initially, I mean, I, I lived in, a, in an apartment that, you know, was fine, uh, I actually got a good deal on it. I remember that, but I, I had very little money when I came back. I mean, I had savings that, you know, I had saw, I'd saved up some money for my time abroad, but in New York term, in New York terms, it was nothing. And I remember I was living in this uh, tiny little apartment, and it took me forever to figure out why this was. I thought I must have a neighbor who smoked cigars, but no, the previous occupant of the apartment before me had been a cigar or cigarette smoker. I couldn't even tell. Just this, this stale smell of tobacco was uh, all over the place. And um, I remember 
that it would come on sometimes and I couldn't really tell why. And then I figured out that it had, it had essentially caked itself in the heating system of this apartment. So whenever it was cold outside and the heat would come on, I moved in in September. So this was pretty, this happened pretty quickly. The room would smell very of, of just old tobacco, you know, just for, it had gotten into the heating system. And I mean, it really was overpoweringly strong. Um, but it was a, for, by New York terms, I mean, I don't even think you could, the average New York City one-bedroom apartment would be, I think, over twice uh, over twice what I was paying to live in this little place. And it was a few blocks away from the office. And it was in a cool little neighborhood. But I was working at the NYPD Intelligence Division then for a little while. And at first it seemed like, at first it seemed like pretty, pretty f- interesting, worthwhile stuff. Uh, and then I started to just realize more and more, I just... My problem with government work was that it's all based on time, meaning that you show up at a certain time, you leave at a certain time, you're there in between. If there's a lot to do, if there's nothing to do, it doesn't matter. It's just about you being a body in a chair that is supposed, or in a meeting or whatever, but you're supposed to be there. And it was very, it was, it was less rigid at the CIA. It was rigid and they always knew where you were. I mean, they always knew where you were and you, you know, you're badging in and, you know, but at the NYPD, you had to sign in. I call it the Harry Potter ledger. They had this big book. It was huge paper, uh, bound book. And you would have to find, and you'd sign in your name and your badge number and you you know, you do all this stuff. And they had a big clock there. And if you were three minutes late, you had to sign a separate sheet of paper and ex- explain the, if you were thir- if you were a minute late, I mean, if they saw you and you came in and you know you weren't there in your tour and you signed in late and you know it depended on how much the sergeant wanted to give you a hard time, but uh, they would make you sign this other sheet of paper. You had to bring your own pens, by the way. That they thought I thought that was a joke. My first week, I was like, "Come on, you're kidding, right?" You bring. I mean, I came from CIA where you didn't make a lot of money, but I but it was like we were Uncle Sam's favorite nephew in terms of the. You know, financing of the office and the activities we were doing. We, we, we were not lacking for uh, the funds to do our jobs at the CIA. That much I can say. Uh, I was amazed. It was post 9-11 CIA, only a few years post 9-11. I was amazed at how well funded we were. I was like, whoa, okay. Um, anyway, and then you get the NYPD, and it's the most elite part of the NYPD, the intelligence division. And all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I got to bring my own pens in? And you're signing things. I hadn't seen carbon paper uh, in a long time. You know, uh, carbon paper meaning it's. I only remember ever using it during freshman year biology, and in the lab we would use it for lab reports. You'd have a a, a copy made for your part, lab partner because you'd be writing the stuff. But it never looked good, and it, you couldn't read the copy, and you ended up redoing the whole thing anyway. So carbon paper was not a good technology. They had that at the NYPD. Carbon paper. You know, it was just. Uh, that was, that was one of the things that I still saw there. And I was like, this is, they had some systems we operated on. We're under, we're on DOS systems. So it was, you know, tab, tab, tab to move down the, and then you had to type in, you know, C dash backslash dash tab. It just, and to move this cursor around a screen. And it looked like I was, it looked like a, a, you know, the technology that would have been used to run a Pac-Man video game in like 1982 or something. So there was not, it was not a lead in that sense, but the, 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 I was really thinking at the time, this has got me on this whole rant, although I'll probably share more stories with you about this, 
really thinking about how I wanted to be in a place where my product mattered, my uh, the end result of my labor mattered much more than the my being in the place for the hours just because. And that was part of why I didn't apply to law school, although in retrospect, I think I would have been a much better lawyer than a businessman. So I applied to business school instead, also because law school is three-year, business school is two-year, and I was going to have to take out massive loans because, you know, white privilege, right? I mean, it's I, I get to take out, here I am, a young guy with no money who's served his country for five years, and uh, it's uh, hard as heck for me to get into any of these schools, and I'm I've uh, I've got friends of mine who are not white who are applying to some of these schools and they're being uh, recruited, showered with attention and affection, and we'd love to have you. And I'm like, well, that person has done less for their country, has had a less interesting career, and has lower grades and GMAT scores than I do. But they get like flown up to you know or flown over to Stanford for a special meeting with the dean. I'm not even like going to get an interview. Okay. You know, hashtag white privilege. That was an interesting, that was an interesting uh, learning experience. The uh, grad school application experience. I did end up getting into some places, uh, some very good places, but it it never. You know, I was the guy who was uh, liquidating his meager, but for me it was considerable uh, at the time. His four hundred one k to apply to grad school. You uh, know, I remember after applying to grad schools for my MBA program. Uh, and, and going to an ATM machine. And I think I had $1,200 in the bank and I had been working. It was one thing when I went down to DC and I had a couple thousand dollars in the bank too, when I moved out, you know, out of college, but I had been working at that point for five years. I had $1,200 in the bank. I always remember that. And I was like, yeah, hashtag kicking butt buck. You're going to be like Ebenezer Scrooge soon swimming around in a big vault of gold coins. Uh, so that all factored into my decision then. And then I just realized I didn't want to go to uh, that. I didn't want to be, whether it was at an investment bank or consulting firm or a law firm, I didn't want to be paid for just my time in the sense of being somewhere or being in a place. I want to be paid for how good I was at something and that it would be the work I put into it would be reflected in the product. And that was what drew me into media. Honestly, it was a huge part of the process of me thinking about taking this enormous leap that has got me now sitting here talking to you on radio and that's story time for now i'll have uh, i'll have more of course but uh, in the meantime uh team i'll be right back stay with me Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. 